welcome to the I Am Winter Solstice Symposium. Hello, aloha. We are with Hank Wesselman today, who really needs very little introduction because he's certainly a, a world-renowned uh, shaman. Are you? I don't know that he calls himself a shaman, but do you? I call myself a shamanist. A shamanist. A shamanist, because, you know, people who follow the Buddhist path call themselves Buddhists. They're actually Buddhists, but they don't claim it. Uh, those who form a, a cluster that follow the Tao, you know, they're Taoists. So I think those of us who walk the path of the shaman, the ancient path, could call ourselves shamanists. Well, I I told my my editor, my book editor, that I was writing a book that had shamanists in it. And she wrote me back in big, bold letters. I hate that word. And I'm there, well, too bad I'm writing the book. The first one I'm there, what do you want? What do you want? The next one is like, forget it. This is my book. I'm going to write whatever I want to say. <laughs> who, who, wrote, uh, who wrote you the, the, I hate that word? Do you well, remember? I can't say that because I still want her to, I still want her to edit the next book. So if I, oh, okay. if I out her out here on uh, all the world to see, I'll be really in the shithouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suggested this, this word in my most recent book, The Reenchantment, which is subtitled A Shamanic Path to a Life of Wonder. And it really gives people an idea of what's out there waiting for them if, you know, they choose to follow the calling that they often get. Because, you know, haven't you always discovered that those people who become spiritually powerful are invited and they're usually invited by having some kind of mind-blowing experience, dream, or synchronicity. And if they're paying attention, they understand that it's an invitation to see if they're ready. At least that's my feeling. Well, you know, and um, those many of you don't know this, but one of my first invitations was when I was listening to a lecture at, that Hank gave, he did, we were at the La Quinta Hotel with the IONS conference and and he, the first day we did a whole sacred journey thing, which I, I've since used a lot because I just love that journey to see what's in your garden and see what you can change in your garden. But then the next day he was giving a lecture. I mean, a lecture. He was up in front of two, 300 people and he goes, well, let me just rattle everyone in to see if, uh, see that you're all here, right? Well, as soon as he started to rattle, I went to Egypt or wherever I was taken that day, and I was totally dismembered, sewn back, stuff was taken out, sewn back shut, and my friends literally carried me from the room and put me into, poured me into bed, I would say, where I then stayed for three days. Did have an invitation into the garden where I was given the job, although I had no idea what the job was that I accepted. Now I know, but then I didn't. And I... Hank, I never even realized that this was my call to the shaman until I was sitting on the shaman's cave one day with Sandra, and she said, oh, yeah, that's when you were called. And I didn't, all the years of all the training, it never occurred to me that that was the call. The call. Well, you know, as most of your listeners are very much aware, the great mythologist Joseph Campbell, who I never had the opportunity to meet, but I heard him lecture once at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. And he lectured from nine to five with slides and he never looked at his notes and he just kept everybody just enthralled. Mm -hmm. You know, so he was the one 
who really revealed something very important to me when I read his book, Hero of a Thousand Faces. In the very first introductory section, he talks about the monomyth. The monomyth. The one story that all of our stories are, so to speak. And the monomyth is about the hero's journey. It's about somebody like you, somebody like me in the middle of our life, you know, with bills to pay and, um, you know, life as it is. And suddenly something happens. And the first stage of the journey is called the call to adventure, the call to join the club, the call. And it's kind of like, you know, remember that poem by Robert Frost, of The Two Paths in the Wood? And when they diverged, and one was the straight, narrow, well-beaten, well-grown path, and the other was overgrown and jungly and gnarly, and it looked like there might be lions and tigers and bears out there. Now, the hero is the one who recognizes this as a kind of invitational event. Now, society gives you every reason not to do it. Society doesn't want you to be a mystic. Society wants you to pay your taxes, vote in your elections, uh, make your car payments on time, get mortgages, go into debt. That's what society wants. But the mystic, the proto-mystic or proto-shamanist is the one who understands that the call to adventure could be life-changing and they decide to go for it. And usually they take that other path that's all overgrown and gnarly because it looks really interesting. Now what happens is this precipitates the shamanist or mystic awakening into the stage of initiation. And the stage of initiation is what Halimakua, the Hawaiian kahuna elder with whom I was in a friendship relationship over the last eight years of his life, he used to say, you know, there are four bowls that we have to drink from in each life. The first bowl is the call. And if we're in the positive polarity, we practice acceptance. If we're in the negative, rejection. Now, when you accept the call, the second bowl is the seed of initiation. It's what Makua called the school of hard knocks, and people's lives can unravel in truly spectacular ways, often in a very short period of time. This is the stage of initiation. It's almost as though the gods want to see what you're made of and how you respond to certain situations. But you know, those situations are events that we set up for ourselves. But when you're in the school of hard knocks, do you know what the, uh, the lesson is? What? How to lose gracefully. Uh. That's it. You know, <laughs> we, we won't mention any soon-to-be uh, extant, extant uh, <laughs> crisis of leadership on rolling wheels or whatever. But, you know, the fact is how to lose gracefully. You know, it's about getting knocked down and getting up again. Getting knocked down and getting up again. You know, it's, you know, the spirits take this very well. They hold on to this kind of stuff. Well, the third bowl is where we're going to get smart. 
That's where we achieve the goal of the quest, whatever the quest is. And usually it happens in response to the discovery that we have supernatural friends. That usually brings us to the end of the stage of initiation, but sometimes it's the beginning of the next stage. I mean, there's no way of knowing. But, you know, we're going to get smart, and that means that we achieve the goal of the quest, whatever that quest was. And then finally, the fourth bowl. It's about this. It's about silence. We have to maintain silence so that we will not uh, deprive others of the power that they have access to when they make the discovery for themselves. You know, it's one thing to hear for people like you and I talking about stuff, but, you know, on the other hand, it's very inspirational and it encourages people to awaken their own inner mystic, or to develop or grow mystically. This is what it's all about, I think, in the end. I think, you know, as we travel across time, growing, increasing, and becoming more in response to each life as we live it, what it's really all about is the refinement of character. The refinement of character. Each one of us has an immortal core of character that we've been developing over countless lifetimes. And we either to contribute in that, uh, to that core in this life or not. You know, it's all about choice, isn't it? And this has to do with the egoic mental soul. That's why the last thing you want to do is get rid of your ego. But you have to downshift into your physical body soul. And that isn't getting rid of your ego, it's just stepping in to the third member of your soul complex. This is something we talk about in workshops and in books and so forth and so on. One of the strange things that I discovered along the way, as I was living in Africa, living with traditional people, sometimes for years at a time, one thing I discovered is that virtually everybody understands that we have not one but three distinct souls. And, you know, the um, Hawaiians understood we have three souls. The Inuits, the Inuits were hunters. Three souls. The Cherokee, the Lakota, three souls. The Shuar in the Amazon, three souls. The Vodou people of Haiti, three souls. Now, this got lost somewhere along the line, and it was transformed into the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I think. The Holy Ghost would be your higher self, the Father would be the ego, and the Son would be the subconscious. It's essentially an understanding of the tripartite level of the self. You know, this is something that people don't know very much about in the shamanic tradition, but I've been trying to get it out there. You know, that's our job. Yes, it is. And you do it really well. That's really an interesting thing to think about because when we go back to the wind, you know, and I know you have that relationship, especially with the North wind, but with the wind that I believe that the religion and that mono myth 
they they when they made one god the superior god and all the rest of the gods you know had to go packing that they borrowed the wind they borrowed the wind for ruach for holy spirit for om all of them borrowed what is now the wind and so my my role in this is to get people back out and out the front door to have a relationship with the wind and find out that then everything changes and it's so simple, but it's not so easy. Good idea. <laughs> you know, when I lived in Africa in the safari camp, you were always aware of the wind, what direction the wind was coming from, what it carried, you know, what it promised to happen later in the day, would it rain that night? All of this was information that was carried by the wind. And I remember talking about this once with Sandra Engerman, and she said, that her ancestors send her messages on the wind. So the wind is very important. And in doing um, elemental spirit work, which I'm in the middle of right now with my online program, you know, we do do a spirit, uh, a journey to the spirit of air and what the air clan people are like. And you're a typical air clan person, in my opinion. I want to come and would you send me a copy of that journey? I'd love to. I'd love to come and experience it. Yeah, a lot of airplane people. I love yours. <laughs> a lot of airplane people. Yeah, go on, please. No, go ahead. No, no. Oh, I was just going to say that a lot of airplane people become teachers. They become teachers. Because they have in Hawaiian. They tend to develop that mental soul and become intellectuals. You know, they tend to be oh, pretty well-educated people. Yeah. Anyway, please, I interrupted you. No, no, I was, no, I, you know, I, I don't consider myself a scholar except for when I went to Pacifica and said, I need my PhD in mythology so people will take me serious. And he's there, he goes, well, it's going to take you three years away from your book. And I'm there like, well, I, I became a scholar researching the wind because it was all mythology and everything like that and getting to the back to the beginning of the mythology. But Hank is going to take us today. He's going to talk to us not about the Wind Clan because, well, he could clearly, and we'll have to get him back for that. But we're going to, he's going to talk to us to the fire tenders about being part of the fire clan. Is it the fire This is clan? good news because as many of you know, Madame Pelly came for the solstice. She's the volcano goddess. She's the goddess of fire and volcanic stone. And we're back in the Vog again. Vog is a fog that's produced by the volcano. And you can't see the horizon. It, air quality uh, is not particularly good. But you know, Pele goes where she wants, when she wants. And, you know, I found that uh, shamanism may or may not work magic on her behalf. But today, you know, in talking about elements, one of the things that I learned in West Africa uh, was the fact that each community was divided into five clans. There was the fire clan, there was the water clan, the earth clan, the stone clan, and the nature clan. Now, interestingly, they don't, as I don't recall, they didn't have an air clan, but we go there anyway. 
and the work that we do, because I think there are reasons why the Air Clan is not included. But the Fire Clan, you know, these elements, why are they important? Well, the fact is that the element offers gifts which are part of your soul essence. In other words, each one of us has a primary. We actually have all six of them. Actually, we have considerably more than that when you consider the chemical elemental chart. But the fact is, uh, one part, one elemental is, is very important and becomes sort of primary. And in the West, it's my opinion that most of us at least some of us, actually most of us, are actually fire clan people. And, you know, this brings up what it means to be a gatekeeper. And I might add that, you know, one of the real uh, resources that I found was Maladoma Somme, the Dagara shaman from West Africa, because he's confirmed a lot of this in his writings about African shamanism. Um, a gatekeeper. All of us probably involved in your circle for the solstice are gatekeepers. The question I've is... I've heard of that, Hank. Yeah, yeah. It's like being born under a certain astrological sign. And some people have claimed that the element that we tend to embody as primary may even be reincarnational. So that means that you as an Air Clan person probably practiced Tengrism uh, on the plains of Central Asia in which the sky and the wind is the god, you know, for a long time. Anyway, um, in indigenous societies, the carriers of gifts are kind of like the servants of the element which they are related to. So one of the things that happens is that Gatekeepers have a primary, you know, association with one element and their genius, their essential character embodies the gift of that element. So by virtue of the fact that you carry a certain gift, you are given a special relationship with the element from which that gift comes. And in this sense, each one of us is a gatekeeper. And in doing elemental spirit work, you know, we explore them all, but we just thought we'd go with fire this morning because Pele has made an entrance. Now, let me reinforce one more time that nobody can be just one element without the presence of the others. That's about balance. That's about harmony. And sometimes as shamanic healers, we can see the imbalance in that person and bring an elemental spirit into relationship with them. This is not a small thing because it's been my experience that the elementals really don't care very much about us. They're very neutral. <laughs> no, they have a completely different MO, a completely different agenda. I thought because, they wouldn't care about me. They didn't they just care that I share them. <laughs> yeah, they're planetary spirits. They're spirits of this place. And they have an extraordinarily important job, and each one has their own piece of the action. But the fact is that when ceremony and ritual happens in, in indigenous societies, doesn't matter which ceremony it is, 
Um, the Water Clan people have their piece of the action. The Fire Clan people have their piece. The Stone Clan, the Earth Clan, the Nature Clan people, they all have a section of the ritual in which they bring the gifts of these elements into their communities. They bring them into their communities. And it's in this way that harmony and balance is maintained within indigenous societies, at least the ones in West Africa that I connected with. So what I was going to suggest we do for a journey today, and we'll do this for maybe 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, we do a journey in my work called the Sacred Garden. And the Sacred Garden is the dreaming of a place in nature. This is a place which is special to you. And you can go there in your journey work. And in fact, I do a lot of my work in my garden. You know, when I'm working with somebody in a healing capacity facilitation, you know, I will invite that person to come into my garden and I'll bring in my spirits and the one who's appropriate for the work that needs to be done usually steps forward. Of course, I inform the client about how this is going to work in advance. You know, so the sacred garden is very useful. So in this journey, my first thought would be to bring up a memory of a place in nature that you've been to, which is special to you. It may have been special to you as a child. It may be one from midlife. It may be one from right now, depending on how old you are. Now, when you go to this place, try to perceive it. Try to feel it. Try to smell the flowers. Try to hear the water chuckling over the stones. Uh, try to feel the wind in your hair or on your skin. You know, this kind of thing. Just really let this image come to life within you. And then, make a fire pit in your garden. Now, you're working with a dream. So all you really have to do is express what you dream into being. And it happens quickly. So I suggest a round fire pit in your garden. You can invite the spirit of fire to come and reside in your garden. All right? And it will be there like the ever-burning flame on JFK's um, grave. It will be there whenever you go. Now, when you get to your garden, when you find this place, and you locate the fire pit, invite the spirit of fire. Now, this is not the same thing as a spirit who works with fire. Pele is a spirit who works with fire. But fire itself is an elemental and a very important one. And invite the spirit of fire to manifest itself in your garden in a controlled way, all right? It might be a shaft of light, because light is energy, fire is energy, fire is light. It could be a shaft of light. And then settle yourself and achieve soft focus and observe the fire or the light, how it appears to you. Then make contact. Extend your conscious awareness toward this spirit 
and invited to come into connection with you. Then, three questions you're going to get. First of all, ask what qualities and abilities are carried by the fire spirit that can be of use to you. Second question, ask what gifts are conveyed through that gateway of which you're the keeper. And finally, what are those gifts that are conveyed through that gateway? Because this means what it means to be a firekeeper. All right, fire clan people, we're going to talk a little bit, I'll talk a little bit about after the journey, about what fire clan people are like and what, you know, I've learned over the years about working with the fire element. In Circle, of course, we'd all share. Um, but, you know, hopefully this will be something that you will make short notes on. Should we give people about five minutes to make notes? Yes, definitely would be good. After the journey? Yeah, after the journey. Perfect. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll separate it so then they can go back and listen again, too. So I'll split it into our talk and then the journey. So Okay. Be present with it and know that you'll be able to it'll be recorded so you can go back and listen again later. But, you know, the fire is also a wonderful symbol for this time of year because, you know, when you burn a piece of wood, there's fire. That's actually the fire of our star. And it's in that wood. And you're releasing that fire, that energy. And who knows where it goes next? It's energy. Now, that's not a small thing. You know, when you light a candle like this yesterday for or for the solstice, I guess it was Monday, I came out in the dark and Jill was already up and she'd lit two candles. She'd created fire. First thing she did on the solstice because the light is now returning. Well, you know, um, let me share a little bit of information for you and then, you know, we can we can throw it back and forth. Over the years that we've been doing the elemental spirit work, uh, we've discovered that fire is the original element that was present at the beginning and the state to which everything eventually returns. Mm. Now, we're not talking about incinerated. We're talking about your energy. Your energy is your fire. Okay? All your little mitochondria are... Uh, busily converting ATP to ADP and the energy that you use is coming from that interaction. Mitochondria, and we're not going to go there. <laughs> All right, the original element that was present at the beginning and at the state to which everything eventually returns, it's present in everything. Everything. It's present in your house. If your house should burn, it's there. It's present in everything, and it's the state that our ancestors are in. That doesn't mean your ancestors are on fire. That means they're merged with their light, their energy, which can maintain a kind of mosaic collective pattern in response to the lives that you live life after life. 
that's a nice thought, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fire opens the doorway to the levels of the spirit world. I'm talking about energy now. I'm talking about light. And it allows us to communicate with the past, the present, and the future. For those of you interested in time traveling. Now, fire is also about passion. It's about passion. When you're in an impassioned state with a partner or a horse or, you know, whatever you're impassioned with, you're in a very special state in which your energy, your fire, is flaring. It's flaring. Now, it's not burning you up from the inside, but sometimes it does, you know. You remember uh, all the songs about this back in the 50s. Now, Fire Clan people, I've discovered over the years, and others like Maladoma have discovered this as well, that in the positive polarity, Fire Clan people tend to be restless, emotional, and strong dreamers. They tend to be restless, emotional, and strong dreamers. Fire people live on the edge between humans and their ancestors, and they can go back and forth between the two worlds. So shamans fit nicely into this category because shamanists live in two worlds. The world of things seen and the world of things hidden. And of course the indigenous people draw no distinction between them. But the the shamanist is the one who explores and investigates the worlds of things hidden. And it's done in a goal-oriented sense. Now, fire people, their task in the positive polarity is to keep the community and the culture aware of its vital relationship to the other world. Fire is a gateway. Think about the fact that for a million and a half years, human beings and proto-human beings have been sitting around a fire every single night of their lives. Staring into the flames, telling stories, doing healing work, doing divination work, shamanizing. You know, children will grow up in a society like that, and it's completely natural for them to have elders who can achieve special states of consciousness when the need requires it. I mean, that's just part of the culture. Now, in the negative polarity... Fire people rush ceaselessly with a consumer's mentality, polluting, destroying, and conquering. In the negative polarity, fire people rush ceaselessly with a consumer's mentality, polluting, destroying, and conquering. Now this brings up the field of economics. Because fire clan people are restless, they cultivate scarcity to promote production and consumption. That's economics. There's the whole corporate world right there. They cultivate scarcity so that they can instill a kind of fear in people to get what they want or need or are entitled to right now. 
Now, there's another negative aspect of fire clan people, which is very concern-making. A fire culture in the negative polarity is often fascinated by violence. And in such a society, violence is highly marketable as it stimulates the culture as a whole. We're talking about the military. It stimulates the culture as a whole. You know, post-World War II was an incredible boom in response to the military. It was unbelievable. I don't think we've had one like that since. So a fire culture is often fascinated by violence. And in such a society, violence is highly marketable. Our Our films and our streaming events on television feature a lot of violence. In fact, sex and violence are the two elements that you have to have to make a blockbuster movie. And violence is very important. You know, there's no question about this. Now, this means that in the negative polarity, a fire culture is a war culture. A fire culture is a war culture. And conflicts, solutions to conflicts can only be resolved by more fire. We even have a term called friendly fire. (laughs) Now back to the positive polarity. Such a culture that we've just sort of talked about very briefly requires a lot of water to heal. Because when fire goes out of control, it consumes. Fire also produces when you think it transforms from one state to another, virtually everything. Virtually everything. So in the positive polarity, a person with vision and passion who's actively involved in the world embodies fire. And so each of us needs to nourish the ancestral fire within, so that we can stay in touch with our dreams and our visions. And that ancestral fire is your energy body, which connects you to all of your former selves, as well as all of your former maternal and paternal ancestors. This is not a small thing. This is not generally understood as well. So as a gatekeeper, the gift to help people dream the gift to help people dream or waken their intuitive or emotional selves seems to be associated with the gateway connected with fire. But you know, there's a lot more when you consider it. The fire clan people have really produced the world that we live in. They've created the world that we live in. When we started to actually actually modify nature in response to our needs through the invention of agriculture, about 11,000, 12,000 years ago, you know, the population has, has just expo- exponentially increased ever since that time. And it's allowed populations to expand dramatically into all sorts of areas of the world that were not available before. Consider Steve Jobs, all right, classic fire clan person. Look at what he did. Look at how he changed the world as a fire clan person. So fire-clan people in the positive polarity are very valuable. And Americans, I think, 
and um, the Yoruba people in Nigeria I lived with for two years, and the Dasnich and Turkana peoples of Ethiopia. You know, these are people who had a fairly strong um, contingency of fire clan people, as well as the other clans. And of course, the fire clan people are the warriors. They're the soldiers. They're the ones who protect and guard. They're the ones who create. They make things. All right? Uh, so the fire clan people are very important. Very important. You know, you might sort of zero in on the negative and think about all the violence. This is all about choice, I think. And we are now at a place in our soul's evolution on Earth where we have the opportunity to step up and into the next cycle of ages. The Hawaiian elder Makua used to say that the last cycle of ages, which lasted for 26,000 years, it started in the Stone Age, was all about separation. And the first was the separation of humans from nature. Big, big mistake. Big mistake. And then the manipulation of nature. So, 26,000 years, it was all about separation. So I remember we asked him, well, what about the cycle that's coming up, the next cycle of ages? He said, the time of separation is over. This is about connection. But we have to choose it. We have to choose to step up and create a world in which everything is connected to everything else. Steve Jobs helped a lot, don't you think? Yeah? And the work that we do as shamanists, of course, we're actually using the dream field as a method of getting around from place to place, of communication, of doing healing work. This is not a small thing, because we're the dreamers. So Fire Clan people and shamans I think a lot of shamans tend to be fire clan people. But remember, we embody them all. Nobody can be just one without the presence of the others. So this is a little fire clan uh, work this morning, and it's a very good thing to do. I went to the crater, to the volcano crater, um, in my visioning. And I have a relationship with Peli, as most of you know. Uh, I'm not claiming anything here, but I have written about it in my Spirit Walker trilogy. She's in every single book. She is in every single book because those books are really about how I was enchanted here on the island. And I live on an island with a massive active volcano right in the middle of it. We're only 20 miles from the summit, but it's all uphill. <laughs> so... You know, this island is alive. It has a live spirit in the middle of it, and she periodically turns over or stirs or goes down into Kau or one of the other provinces. So what I tried to do today is I try to establish contact again because she's been in meditation for two years. And I'm trying to get her, if she's going to fill that crater and it's going to flow out of the crater... I'm trying to give her directions on where to let it flow towards the southeast, 
you know, because there are no people down there. There are no communities down there. And you could always use more landscape, you know? Oh, she added 700 acres to the island in the last big blast. So she's a very interesting being. You know, sometimes people perceive her as a woman dressed in white. Sometimes she's a beautiful young Hawaiian woman. Sometimes she's a crone. Sometimes she has a little dog with her. That's called a poi dog out here. <laughs> I don't know if that means that the animals were once made into poi, but that's what they're called, <laughs> poi dogs. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you run into Pelle and you're dreaming, be very respectful. She likes flowers. So you can always create a bouquet, a dream bouquet right on the spot and offer it to her. She'll be just delighted. Mm, I love that. So that's a little fire stuff for the uh, solstice and the return of the sun. You know, we're in the third day of the solstice now, so the the tip has begun. The movement has begun. Yeah. How was your journey, yeah. by the My way? My journey after I burrowed, and I was, you know, those those Vedic massages where they pour oil all over you. You know, yeah. it's that drip. They drip. Well, they I was being doused with oil and wrapped in in cloth, like I was getting, and then I was carried and put into the fire. And it was kind of a continuation from uh, Terry Morgan did a, a journey to the fire spirit the other night, which was very different. But what was really similar is that, you know, we like to think of fire as red and yellow. My fire is, transmute, is transmuting into these almost effervescent, luminous colors since Monday, since we started this journey, so that it's not that old paradigm of fire, but it's more of a, when you, when then, when then I went off and did something in the garden and I came back and the fire opened up and invited me to merge with the energy of this new flame. That's the best mm -hmm. way that I can describe it here. And I could feel it embracing... Do, do most of the people who are <clears throat> part of this circle, do they understand about merging? I just sort of popped that one out today without thinking. Uh, all I can tell you how it felt for merging for me was that, that I had been dissolved when I was tossed in the flames earlier and that there was a spaciousness for me to be what you called egoless with uh -huh. the flame and be a, be be the flame i guess is the best way to describe it but this you know that there was no separation between me and what was the flame how's that How that's good describe it? you know as you recall <laughs> i think we did it this way in tuscany didn't we have a bowl in the middle of the circle with a candle in it Yes. The bowl of light. That's the bowl that Makua, the kahuna, gave to me. And he said, you know, when each one of us comes into this world, our higher self, our over soul, our Aumakua, 
the immortal aspect of the self, it divides. It resides always in the dream, actually in the upper worlds of the dream. And it divides, and it sends in a bowl of its light. That's a metaphor, of course, um, because it's actually like a seed, a seed of light that enters your new embodiment when you draw your first breath. The breath is the vehicle of transfer. And what's interesting to me is the word for breath is the same in, in Judaism, ruach and spirit, breath and spirit. In Latin, spiritus means both breath and spirit. And, you know, all of our monotheistic traditions agree on the fact that God breathes life into form. But it's not some fatherly mono-god who lives off-planet and has good days and bad days who breathes life into you. It's your own God-self in becoming, your higher self. Because that's where we return at the end of life, bringing all the gifts that we've achieved and accumulated here during the life just lived. So light is really, <laughs> you know, it's what we really are. Your oversoul is your light body. It's made of light. In fact, most everything in the upper worlds is light of various dimensions and densities. That's an interesting word, density. Makua used to use that word. Higher densities, lower densities. When he was talking about uh, transpersonal spiritual levels of reality. And when you think about it, you know, here we are on the physical plane and we're pretty bloody dense, you know? <laughs> You know, it's also interesting to to sort of acknowledge that it's it's not us who are human. It's not our higher self, which is human. It's the physical body, which is human. And it comes with all the physical uh, programming, you know, from the genetic code and from your energy body. And so this is the vehicle through which we live our lives. But, you know, uh, the higher self is not physical. It's not uh, human. It's simply a soul, which is evolving and traveling across time on long walkabout until it comes to the end of its evolution. Its job is over. Mm. This is, these are all wonderful philosophical questions to explore using the shamanic method. So I hope that when the time comes, we'll be able to offer circles again. I kind of miss being in person with my circle right now. I have a large circle, about 500 people. And, you know, it's all being done through Zoom. We originally had 3,000 when I did the webinars. You know, this just gives, uh, I'm not sort of bragging here. What I'm trying to indicate is the degree to which People are interested in the work that we're doing as shamanists. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, uh, our world has been largely demystified by science. And this doesn't mean that science is bad. In fact, science is absolutely fabulous. But there's the other half. That's about the world of things seen. That's science. Science works very well in the world of things seen. But the world of things hidden is about these transpersonal realms. And as your listeners are very much aware, the shamanist is an individual 
who learns how to alter consciousness in a specific way in order to use their body and their mind and their brain as a bridge between the personal world of form and the transpersonal world of spirit. And when that bridge is formed, it allows the healing gifts of the spirit world, which is motivated by love, to flow across that bridge and into our world, where it can manifest things, like healing, for example. Uh, this seems to be what our job is. That and getting people in touch with their spirits. One of the reasons I like the shamanist tradition is it gets you out of the guru business right from the start. Because I perceive myself as um, my job is primarily to give people a sense of what they're capable of on the one hand in terms of visionary work and to get them in touch with their helping spirits on the other and their teaching spirits. And once that has been established, my job is essentially done. And then my job is to get out of the way and let these transpersonal forces <clears throat> establish relationship with you, with who, with ever. And um, the rest, as they say, is herstory or history. <laughs> I should use herstory first because I would say about 80% of the people on my Facebook page are ladies. You know, Where this are is all the men. Where are you, men? We need you in our. We need you in our circles. That's all. I, I would like to say that. I mean, where are you? What are you doing? What is holding up your spirit and your soul? Well, thank it's you. a complex problem. It is a complex problem, and we're, we're you know, um, especially like you know, like men like you, and I mean, there's been a, there's been a generation of them, but now they seem to be like waning again, and and we invite you back to our circles. Yeah. So, and we need you in our circles. Our circles are only half without you. So, um, so, so thank you, Hank. We could go on and talk for hours. I know we could. And I'd like to invite you back over to the Wind Clan. I love when you come and everyone does. We do have 500 people. And, and the way that we're trying to keep it connected and personal is that, you know, I can close my eyes and see all of you holding your, your, your flames and your altars. And they've shared uh -huh. 170 altars with me in pictures i was i was formatting them all last night for the video and it's just like it just brings me right into relationship with you and your home and stuff like that and then i do believe we need to find that path forward in fact i'm doing the finding freedom the lgbtq conference the addiction conference that i run i'm actually doing a small piece of it in person next month in, in palm desert and and we have to find our way back to each other. We can't, we can't stay separate like this forever because that's not that's not what the spirits want either. We have to find a way of being respectful and move together. So, if I'm tarred and feathered, uh, you know, we had this conversation today, Hank. But I, I do appreciate you and people. If you're looking for Hank, you can find him over at his Facebook page. Uh, also, um, shared wisdom. Is it sharedwisdom.com? Yeah, there's a D in the middle, sharedwisdom.com. Shared, shared wisdom. <laughs> I got to do a little upgrading of that site. I got to do a little, well, yeah, no, um, yeah, a little work on that site because it's it tends to reflect 
things that could have happened but didn't happen. <laughs> but something entirely different. Something entirely different Absolutely. has happened. And that's very much Absolutely. an expression of our technological age. You could say it's a reflection of the Anthropocene, as they're calling it. You know, the period after the Pleistocene was called the Holocene. And after the Holocene comes the Anthropocene, because we've completely modified the planet to suit ourselves. And this is not a particularly good way to be a steward of a planet. But, you know, let us, let us just, you know, express as often as possible our intentions to contribute to the greater good. And the greater good includes, you know, the climatic shift, which is happening, because there's absolutely no question in my mind, as a scientist, right. as an anthropologist and a zoologist, there's absolutely no question in my mind that human beings, the work of human beings has been uh, creating chaos in the biosphere. You know, the oceans are warming. You know, and it's not just the surface. The oceans are warming, you know, like 300 feet down. And what this will do is it'll create these hurricanes and typhoons and these tremendous storms. And we'll have a lot more of them, I think. That's not to take us into the negative polarity at this point. But, you know, it's, it's I think, one of the, I think it's the singular most important thing that faces us as a species now. Climate shift. With the Anthropocene, though, you know, because I do a lot of work in the wind clan and in my teaching about how we're, you know, how we're between the gap of the Holocene and the Anthropocene. And with the Anthropocene, there's there's the part of it's recognized that we have the choice and we have to keep choosing the light. And that's what the spire mm -hmm. ceremony is all about and bringing people together like Hank and all of the other wonderful opportunities that we've created in this group together, but we have the choice to hold the light. And we have on to that, choose we're it. going to end it. Yeah, we, have to, we have to choose it. We have to choose it. Every single day, get up. I'm grateful. I choose the light. Thank I you, think it's, so it's always a readiness issue, don't you think? But, you know, I think when you see the numbers of people who are buying books on shamanism now and the number of books that are being produced, as well as the workshops going on all over the place, um, I think people are ready. Yes. I think the readiness is there. Yes. And so take take a course with Hank. You can. I'm actually doing a 10-month apprenticeship next year, which I'm really excited about. Uh, when become part of the Windwalkers plan and learn how to teach this work and take it out to your community. So... Well, thank you, Hank. And the I Am Symposium, the Fire Tenders Gathering is all about you. And it continues. And if you're looking for us, we're at the IamSymposium.com. Okay. Blessings to you. Blessings to Jill. And blessings to Pele. Blessings to Pele. She's going to like that. She sends warm thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> see you, Renee. Good to see you. Nice to see you, Hank.